This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. Hello, and welcome to Discovery. I'm your host, Cal Steiger. This week starts our seven-week feature of podcasts that have been written, recorded, and edited by students of the radio broadcasting program at Durham College. On today's episode, we're featuring three podcasts which touch on topics in video gaming, anime, and a deep look behind International Mother Language Day and how it came to be. First, a look in the world of video games. Hello, how are you? Welcome to episode one of Cashew's Corner, the show where I talk about gaming news, what games I'm currently playing, and upcoming games that I'm looking forward to. I'm your host, Brad Dundas, aka Cashew. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Cashew. That's B-O-O-B-O-O-K-A-S-H-O-O. I've been gaming for most of my life. Things started out with the Sega Genesis and Nintendo 64 when I was a kid, and I got really excited for the GameCube when it launched over 20 years ago, which is a little hard to think about. I've mostly been playing stuff on my PC since around 2007, but I'll pick up a few console exclusives or something I want to play on the go from time to time. Let's kick things off with what's currently trending and making news in the gaming world. First up, there's some controversy that's very hard to ignore. I'm of course referring to Hogwarts Legacy, an open-world action role-playing game set in the world of Harry Potter. Players create their own custom character and journey through several familiar locations from the franchise, becoming the wizard they've always dreamed of. This marks the first non-mobile Harry Potter game to release since LEGO Harry Potter years 5-7 in October of 2018. The previous non-LEGO Harry Potter game came out in July of 2011, so fans have certainly been waiting a long time to step back into the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Player counts, according to SteamDB, have been peaking at around 800,000, and that does not include console players. Now this is where the controversy comes in. The author of the Harry Potter series has been accused of both being transphobic and anti-Semitic, with many people calling for a boycott of the game. Even though J.K. Rowling was not involved in its development, she will still receive a share of royalties from game sales. The game features the series' first transgender character named Serona Ryan, which has been criticized online as it begins with Sir and ends with Ryan, a masculine prefix and a common masculine name. Other characters in the series have had their names criticized in the past as well, such as Irish character Seamus Finnegan, who has a tendency to blow things up, which is believed to be a reference to the Irish Republican Army and the only Asian character in all of Hogwarts being named Cho Chang, both popular Asian surnames from different Asian communities. Despite all the controversy, the game is currently rated at 93% on Steam, with most reviews being very positive. Are you going to be checking out Hogwarts Legacy, or are you skipping it? Let me know over on Twitter, at BooBooKashu. Also trending, albeit not controversial, is the demo for Dark and Darker, Inspired by Dungeons & Dragons, it's a first-person hardcore fantasy role-playing game with a mix of PvP and PvE, meaning that players will have to battle against non-player-controlled enemies, as well as other players. The primary objective is to enter the dungeon and collect as much treasure as possible and escape alive. The demo exploded with popularity and is trending at around 100,000 players according to SteamDB. There isn't currently a set release date for the full game, but fans are eager to get their hands on more.
Changing gears, I haven't had as much time to game lately, so I've been a bit picky with what time that I do have. I've been into games that try to break the typical mold. A bit more casual, but I've been playing Katamari Damacy Reroll on my Nintendo Switch. It's a remaster of the PS2 version from 2004. In a drunken stupor, an eccentric, godlike entity called the King of All Cosmos destroys all the stars, Earth's moon, and other celestial bodies in the universe, except for Earth itself. The king makes his 5 centimeter tall son, the prince, go to Earth with the Katamari, which is a magical ball that allows anything smaller than it to stick to it and make it grow. Now, you're doing this so that you can collect enough materials to recreate the stars and the moon. The gameplay is really simple. You use two joysticks to roll around various environments as you pick up items. If you hit something larger than you, items fall off, so you'll need to grab smaller things and grow before going for the bigger stuff. You need to hit a certain size before a timer expires to beat each level. It has a pretty fun soundtrack and is great for all ages. Since it's on Switch, it's good to pick up for a few minutes and it doesn't require a lot of dedication. I've also been playing Death Stranding when I get the chance. The game is set in the United States after a cataclysmic event that caused destructive creatures to roam the Earth. You control Sam Porter Bridges, a courier tasked with delivering supplies to remote colonies and reuniting them via a wireless network. The story has several elements that resembled the COVID-19 pandemic which started a month after its original release, including isolation and heavy reliance on delivery workers. The gameplay is often criticized as a delivery simulator, but I think it's a classic man versus nature situation, and I found it quite relaxing both times I've played through it. The game also had an all-star cast featuring Norman Reedus, Mads Mikkelsen, Leah Seydoux, and even the bionic woman herself, Lindsay Wagner. It also had some directors give their likenesses such as Guillermo del Toro and Nicholas Winding Refn. I'm not usually a huge fan of movie actors and games, but Death Stranding is a much more cinematic experience, so I don't mind so much. What have you been playing lately? Be sure to let me know over on Twitter, at BooBooKashu. Changing gears once more, there's been a ton of games announced for the next couple of months, and there's a few pretty high up on my list. Some of them are out in the next couple weeks, such as Like a Dragon Ishin and Sons of the Forest. Others are a bit more spread out like Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which comes out in May, We Love Katamari Reroll in June, and Pikmin 4 in July. Like a Dragon Ishin is made by Ryugagotoku Studios, the same studio that makes the Yakuza series. Ishin was originally a Japanese exclusive released in 2014, and while the characters look the same, they aren't related to the Yakuza games at all. The game takes place between 1853 and 1867 in the late Edo period in Japan. Instead of playing as Kiryu, players take control of Sakamoto Ryoma, who is bent on finding the assassin who killed his mentor. The mainline games are known for their wild side stories, so it'll be fun to see what Ryoma gets up to. Sons of the Forest is a sequel to 2014's The Forest. On a forested island inhabited by mutated creatures, the player must find a missing billionaire. The map is said to be four times larger than the first game, and the game will feature improved gameplay elements. I spent a lot of time playing co-op in the first game, so I can't wait to get started with this one. The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is a direct sequel to 2017's Breath of the Wild. Players will need to navigate and fight their way through the vast kingdom of Hyrule, and the new mysterious floating islands in the skies above. The first game was really fun, so it'll be great to see what additions the team have added to Tears of the Kingdom. We Love Katamari Reroll is a remake of We Love Katamari from 2005, in similar fashion to Katamari Damacy Reroll. 
The story opens with the King of All Cosmos having a self-referential reaction to the success of the first game, which was a surprise hit. After recreating all the stars in the sky, the king discovers that he has many fans down on Earth and wants to fulfill their wishes with help from the prince and his cousins. The gameplay is improved from Damasi, so I'm really looking forward to it. Finally, there's Pikmin 4. The Pikmin series is a combination of action platforming, puzzles, and strategy games. The player takes control of a miniature humanoid creature in command of the Pikmin, which are small plant-like beings. They come in different colors with different abilities, such as Red Pikmin being fire resistant. The new title has two new species of Pikmin, including an ice type, as well as a dog-like creature that can assist with puzzles and combat. Pikmin 4 has been teased since 2015, so I'm excited to play it when it releases this July. What games are you most looking forward to in the next couple months? Be sure to head over to Twitter and let me know, at BooBooKashu. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm your host, Brad Dundas, aka BooBooKashu, and this is Cashew's Corner. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Anime Talk. I am your host, Kiara Whiting, and I will be taking you through the different forms of media of anime, which consists of both video games as well as TV shows and movies. So sit back and enjoy. Now, before I start this, I would like to start off by saying anime is not entirely for children. Yes, there are some shows out there or movies that have a childlike aspect and have very funny uh, topics to them and some of them are great for kids but not all of them and i say this because there are people out there who say that it's a cartoon it's just a kid's show you should get over it get out get a life and whatnot and again i say anime is not just for children there is a lot more to it than that there is a lot of gore behind it a lot of um, sexual innuendos unfortunately and believe me half of these shows out there are not for kids if you don't believe me I say at least watch one episode of Attack on Titan maybe Food Wars uh, but you really don't have to again my opinion take it with a grain of salt take it as you will I also want to add that you don't have to have watched anime your entire life to enjoy it you could have started watching it a couple days ago maybe a month ago and absolutely love it like i found that at the beginning of covid there were a lot of people who started watching anime because they were locked in their house started watching everything already on netflix and they absolutely love it um anime isn't just cartoons these storylines and the artwork are also intricate and um, amazing these artists and story writers put so much time and effort into what they're doing and producing and it it's good to take a minute to just step back and notice all the hard work that goes into these shows and movies and video games and oh they're amazing um, some of my favorites would have to be TV show wise um, Attack on Titan the storyline is so captivating and I'm so hooked and I have been for years uh, another one would be Naruto that is a classic and anybody I'm sure knows Naruto whether you watch anime or not and one that I absolutely love that is not widely popular 
is um, Pandora Hearts and I will recommend that show till the day I die. It is amazing and the storyline is so captivating. It's a kind of a twist of Alice in Wonderland but darker with a more ghoulish twist and it's very captivating and I absolutely love it. And there are so many twists and turns throughout this whole show or the manga series that you don't even know what's coming. It's all, I, I recommend it, highly, highly recommend it. Um, some movies, it's anything by Studio Ghibli, Ponyo, Howl's Moving Castle, Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away. They're all amazing, especially if you just want to start watching anime. Then there's some video games, which aren't necessarily anime, but they have the same kind of art style as well as storylines, and they are so captivating and incredible that you get start pick up the remote and you don't want to put it down. And it is amazing, like Final Fantasy, any Final Fantasy game. They are, the storylines are always so captivating and they're all so different but also so similar. Then there's also uh, Kingdom Hearts. Again, the storyline is so captivating and those games are in chronological order. So if you want to play it, I'd suggest starting with number one. You don't have to, but that's my suggestion. But they're amazing. It's all so amazing and I will never stop saying how amazing these games are. How amazing the games are, the shows, the movies, they're all incredible and I really recommend people if you want to step out of your comfort zone to try them. Now I've talked about my love for anime and how people have grown to love it over COVID and have given it a shot. But now I want to talk about the history of anime itself. Now anime can be traced back to the start of the 20th century with the earliest verifiable film airing in, the, in 1917. But the first generation of animators for these films were introduced in the late 1910s and their films mostly revolved around World War II. It wasn't until the 1970s when anime developed much further, separating itself from its World War II roots and developing a distinct genre such as mecha, as well as other sub-genres of super robots. Some of these films include Astro Boy or Lupin 3. Astro Boy being a very popular and well-known anime as well as a very popular cartoon movie which was capping out years later in the 2000s. Roughly around 1980 anime became very mainstream in Japan experiencing a boom in production and a very rise of popularity like with the Gundam series or Dragon Ball which are both again very well-known series within the anime community as well as outside of it. To the point that Japan created a life-size Gundam robot that is fully functional, can fully move, and is incredible from what I've seen. Now, with the rise in popularity came the big three anime, which, depending on who you ask, varies. But the big three anime is is actually three animes that had a very high um, sell rate. And they are called the big three because at the time they were sold the most mangas of the time. And the big three are Naruto, Bleach, and One Piece. Now some people would argue that Dragon Ball should be in the big three because it is well known. But unfortunately it did not meet the standards to fit into the big three category. So again I say the big three is Bleach, One Piece, and Naruto. All three are well known in, within and outside of the anime community. With anime becoming as popular as it was for its time, these movies and TV shows started to be recognized more worldwide. For example, 
Studio Ghibli's Spirited Away won first prize at the 2002 Berlin Film Festival, and then 2003, it won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature Film, which surprisingly beat out a Disney movie of its time. While at 2004 Cannes Film Festival, Ghost in a Shell was featured. These movies are, to me, it's very interesting to know that they were involved in these film festivals as well as the awards uh, all across the world because at the time this was when people usually stuck to what they liked and stuck to what they know and it was ama it's amazing to see people branch out and try new things watch new things seeing people do new things and reach out of their comfort zone shows that we can all embrace different cultures without it being a problem and these movies and tv shows and video games all prove that because there are people over here in Canada who have no idea where some of these games come from. Like I could say the name Square Enix Gaming and no one knows what that is. But it's a gaming company in Japan who comes out with some amazing games. Again, it'd be Final Fantasy or um, Kingdom Hearts. And those are just some of the that's just some of the surface games. Uh, Kirby, the video game Kirby, he is Japanese and. Pokemon, again, is another one, Japanese, and people don't realize this, but that's what they are. And people have loved these for years and years, and no one has ever realized they, they are embracing another culture, but at the same time, some of these people are hating on it. And it hurts, I'm not gonna lie, because some of us grew up on Pokemon and absolutely love the show, but none of these people realize that it is in fact an anime. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that I've at least inspired some of you to try and watch anime. If not, that is completely okay. My name is Kira Whiting, and this was Anime Talk. Hello, I'm Amara Ahmed, and you're listening to 105.9 The Region. 21st of January is the International Mother Language Day. This day is celebrated on the 21st of February around the world every year to promote awareness about linguistic and cultural diversity, multiculturalism, as well as language preservation. It was recognized in 99 by UNESCO and eventually by the United Nations General Assembly. Firstly, a little bit about myself and why this day matters to me. I'm currently an international student at Durham College. I'm originally from Pakistan, where I have been a journalist for quite some time. The sad truth is that the origin of this day actually lies in the history of my country. On the 21st of February 1952, that is 61 years ago today, the government of Pakistan actually opened fire on the students of University of Dhaka, who were actually opposing the imposition of Urdu language on what was then East Pakistan and is now called Bangladesh. Five of the students died and to commemorate them, Bangladesh established this day of the mother language. East Pakistan was actually a part of Pakistan that was Bengali. It is now called Bangladesh and their mother language was Bengali. They did not want to learn and speak Urdu, which was a language that they didn't deemed to be their own. And this gory and unfortunate incident actually paved the path for the world to realize the importance of preserving one's own mother language. In the past few years, I have been extremely concerned about the state of my own mother language, Punjabi, which is on the brink of extinction 
despite being the 10th most spoken language in the world. And one of the main reasons behind that is that parents and families have actually stopped speaking to their children in Punjabi. Unfortunately, Punjabi is neither the official language of Pakistan nor is it taught in schools. Incidentally, Punjabi is the third most commonly spoken language in Canada because millions and millions of Punjabis from India and Pakistan are actually coming to Canada as immigrants. Unfortunately, when Punjabis reach Canada, they make sure that they don't speak Punjabi to their children. In order to improve their chances of adjusting in this new society, they start speaking English to their children. And then eventually, their children are absolutely unable to even understand what their parents are saying to each other. Gurmeet Kaur is a bilingual storyteller, writer and teacher of Punjabi language who is based in Toronto. She has compiled the first collection of stories for children in Punjabi as well as English. It's called The Fascinating Folk Tales of Punjab and thousands of children have already benefited from it. Here is what Gurmeet has to say about the challenge of preserving Punjabi. Languages do not die because they become irrelevant with time or are killed off by predatory languages of greater scope or richness. Languages die because people switch to other languages and the community stops using their native language with their children because of economic, social or political pressures or because of immigration, but primarily because of a lack of responsible behavior. Unfortunately, the Punjabi language is facing each of these challenges today and it has no support structure to fight these. Over half a million immigrants speak it from both India and Pakistan. However, most schools, even with a significant Punjabi population, do not offer Punjabi as a language. Punjabis immigrating from Pakistan declare Urdu as their native language. They do not associate with Gurmukhi script used to read and write the Punjabi language, having lost touch with it in the last 75 years. Punjabis immigrating from India think they already know the Punjabi language and that their priority is to teach their kids English and French so they can be successful in their lives. They do not actively push for preserving the Punjabi language, only to be shocked a few years later when their kids cannot speak, read, write or relate to it beyond a very basic level. Almost 96% of the world's population actually speaks the top six languages that are the most spoken languages in the world, like Hindi, English, Chinese, French, Spanish, and Arabic. And most of these languages are actually languages of the colonizers. So wherever colonization took place, which includes actually North America, the language of the colonizer was adopted. And the rest of the 96% of the languages, which, are, which actually make up over 7,000 languages in total, are spoken by only 4% of the world population. And even that population usually happens to be multilingual. So these languages, which actually are thousands of languages, so these thousands of languages are actually on the brink of extinction. In fact, language conservationists believe that by the end of the century, most of the languages will be gone and we might become a monolingual species. Most indigenous people, as you know, now speak English or French. And this is a classic case of how languages become extinct. The Canadian Parliament officially recognizes the International Mother Language Day and this day holds immense importance in this country because 5% of Canada is indigenous. Some 70 indigenous languages are being spoken in Canada right now and many of them have as few as 1,000 speakers. We spoke to Amanda Panek, who is an Indigenous Student Success Coordinator at Durham College. Basically, she runs the Indigenous Centre at the college. 
she speaks Anishinaabe and is an Ojibwe woman of the Bear Clan from Fort Williams First Nations. So here is what Amanda has to say. Of the language, uh, it's definitely impacted our communities a lot more here. We don't really see the language around on the signs um, or uh, anywhere off of our First Nation or the First Nation communities, where within nor Northwestern Ontario, you see a lot more representation of the language. You see the Cree language, the uh, Anishinaabe language. Uh, so you do see a lot more representation if you look into the north. And if we think about what could be done to help revive the languages, it's exactly what we're doing in the, in the north, making sure that we have language revitalization as a priority. In our current stance, we have a Canadian government who has control over what happens in Indigenous communities. That's not how sovereignty works. So we have leadership within our communities, but they don't sit at the same table as uh, that prime minister role or other people within the MPP or higher offices. Also allocating the funds that are Indigenous funds. There's a, an account that has trillions of dollars in it that is Indigenous money, yet we don't have the opportunity to access those funds on our own. If we really think about how we'd be able to move forward, it goes towards reconciliation as well. These are one of the recommendations uh, from the 94 Calls to Action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is language revitalization uh, because it was that uh, through genocide, there was that cultural genocide and language genocide, so they tried to extinguish our language. In my opinion, in today's day and age, many people and many conservationists, many organizations have become conscious of the fact that we are moving towards language extinction very swiftly and they have created certain awareness about uh, why language preservation is important. And I believe that the onus lies on us. Me being a Punjabi speaker, I, I should improve on my Punjabi skills. Uh, fortunately, Punjabi is very... Fortunately, I was raised by my grandparents and they were fluent in Punjabi. They also spoke to me in Punjabi. I should and I am now learning uh, how to write the Punjabi script. It is our responsibility as parents, as a community, as a family to not just consciously continue speaking our language so that we don't lose that skill, but to inculcate this skill in our children. So I don't think it is all bleak and I think the way to go forward is to take this matter in our hands and make sure that we speak the language, we read and write the language and that we impart it to our children and the younger members of our community. I want to conclude this show by saying that this day is not meant to make us feel depressed or paint a bleak picture about our mother language but rather to generate awareness and consciousness about language preservation and what we can do in order to protect and preserve our own mother language and culture. So if you love your mother language, then learn it, speak it and teach it. I'm Amara Ahmad and you're listening to 105.9 The Region. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. If you've missed any of this episode, or if you want to tune in to one of our previous podcasts, head to 1059theregion.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 1059 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.